This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Thank you, Daniel and Jim. Good morning, Journey Church, and happy Father's Day. What a great time that we can share with our fathers to appreciate them, to show them how much they have meant to us, right? And then, again, to pass that on to our children. How many fathers do we have today? Just raise your hand. Good to see that. And uh, all that that means. Sometimes you might hear of a bad father, um, and that's sad, isn't it? Because it really hurts the family. But in some way, every father provides something for their children. And at least that we want to appreciate. But then we have fathers that go so far above and beyond what that could be that it is really amazing. Today I want to, I want to really deal with um, how fathers in general, but more so, will come to God, our Father, and what He puts into our life, what He desires for us. If you had three wishes, let's start with yourself. If you had three wishes for yourself, what would they be? You take your magic lamp, you rub the lamp, and out pops the genie, and he grants you three wishes. Maybe it would be to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. <laughs> Those simple things. But I want to ask you today, what would your father wish for your life? It might be something a little bit similar. But if you were to ask your father, maybe some of you want to go home today and say, Dad, what do you really wish for my life? What would be the thing that you would want to see in my life? And he might say things like, I, I hope you have a happy life. I hope you're healthy. Would he say, I hope you're wealthy? He might. <laughs> Especially to say, I hope you win the lottery so you can support me. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> but I bet it's something different from those simple things, the things that we might even wish for ourselves. I bet our fathers would say something like, I want you to, to make a choices that will actually cause your life to be great. Something along those lines. Maybe not something determined. Yes, sometimes you'll have a father to say, I want you to be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> Or I want you to take over the business when I retire. And sometimes children feel trapped into those things that our parents might force on us. But most of the time, hopefully, our fathers are going to say, whatever you choose, whatever direction that you want to go, I will support you. I will be there for you. I want you to have the best life possible. And we honor that in our fathers today. Uh, when I was born, still in the hospital, my father came in to see my mother, and he brought her a little baseball glove. Brought it to me, I guess, but I couldn't use it yet either, either way. And put it there in, on the bed, at least, or in the crib, uh, as if to say, you know, that's his hope for me, his dream for me to be the baseball player. Eight years later, I tell you, I joined Little League and I had that very glove that I was using. It didn't work real well at that point, but anyway, uh, I really think that my father probably wanted me to be a football player like he was. He played football for my high school, was a starting linesman 
from my high school football team, of course, long before me, but <laughs> he played football for the same high school that I went to. In fact, his senior year, he was the captain of the football team. And I kind of think that he would want to have seen me follow in those steps. But he was never disappointed, never said that, never forced me to do it. He always just said, whatever you choose, choose your own way, go your own path, find your own direction. He's been gone 23 years, and I still remember those things that he would say to me. Those are very special things that we remember about our fathers. And those are the same things that we want to pass on to our children. So maybe if your father's still alive, I think that would be a great thing to do. Go ask them, Dad, what, what do you really want from my life? And to see what they would say. I think that would be very interesting. I kind of like to do that with my own father, to ask him that. What would you like to see? What is it that you want for me? Just a little experiment, maybe something that you can work on, or if you're a father, even to suggest to your children, what I want for you is to have the best life possible. Today, I want to turn that corner a little bit and really talk about what our Father God would have for us. What does God have for us? And so, instead of a genie granting me three wishes, if God had three wishes for my life, what would they be? If God had three wishes for you, what do you think they would be? Would it be simply to be happy, healthy, and wealthy? Or is there more to it? What does God really want from us? And particularly, what does God want from Journey Church? If God had three things that he would say, Journey Church, this is what I want for you, what would they be? Today we're going to continue looking at the book of Ephesians, a letter in the New Testament uh, to a church that is now, the, the location would be in Turkey, but actually this letter is a broader letter than just to one church. It looks like this letter was, in fact, most of the letters that Paul sent or that were written in the New Testament, they were written and designed really for the whole area and eventually for the whole world, not just for one particular church. It started with that one church, but they were always instructed to share that letter with the others around them. Take it to the next town or read it to the next church and share that with those around you. So what we're going to read today, yes, it's written to one specific church, and yet that church was supposed to share their letter with other churches and also take letters that were written to the other churches and read it in their church. So what we have in this letter is not only what was written almost 2,000 years ago to a particular group, but what was written and shared to church after church after church and down through the centuries, and now it comes to us as Journey Church. And God is speaking here today and saying, this is really what I want from you. These are the things that I would like to see in Journey Church. What do you think that would be? What would God say to us? Oh, I, I, I wish you'd had a brand new building. Or I wish you had a big children's ministry that would draw people from all around, or a youth ministry. 
Or I wish you had an eight-member band that would stand up every Sunday, and with that band, there'd be a fog machine that you could have in the sanctuary with you. Do you think God would wish those things for us? I don't think so. It's not about those things. It's not about those physical things. It's not about how we go about doing anything. It's something far deeper than that, isn't it? It's something far greater than all of those things. And it really deals with who we are as a church. And I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1, and this will be on the screen as well today, about what God's prayer for journey will be. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 I'm going to start today with 15 through 19. We'll come back later and read verses 20 to 23. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. Here is a prayer for this Ephesian church and for churches all through the area, for churches all through the century, and it comes down to us today a prayer for us as Journey Church. And notice he starts out first of all I have heard about you, I have heard what others say. And especially, he talks, this is their reputation. He's, there is something out there in the community. There is something that's going around about who you are. And what it is, first of all, is your faith in the Lord Jesus. And secondly, then, your love for all the saints. Faith in the Lord Jesus. And I've talked about that as a vertical. I don't, is God up? <laughs> God's kind of everywhere, isn't he? But we'll call that vertical, Okay. And then there's a horizontal dimension as well. The love for one another that people were sharing. And that was what Paul is talking about here as he's writing to this church. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for one another. A week and a half ago, our leadership team met with our Ohio State officials, Ohio Ministries of the Church of God, and they asked us a question. Here it is. If Journey were to close its doors today, how long would it take people in the community to recognize that we weren't here anymore? And he didn't demand an answer from us. (laughs) I'm kind of glad because I don't know how to answer that. But it made me think, and still thinking about it, and I hope you'll think about it. What is it that people would recognize as Journey Church What is it that they would know and especially miss if we weren't here? Because that really is the heart of who we are, how we are serving our community. That's who we are as a church, how we reach out to those around us, 
how they might see us express our faith in God. Now, I've talked before about what I see that I, I, I think this is a very caring church, first of all. We could say the same thing, the love that we have for one another. We see that in many ways of how people reach out to one another. And hopefully during your time of community, every time that we do that, it's a time of sharing that love, passing on the love to one another. Uh, I think, and I've said this before, that uh, Journey Church, I think we have more people involved in more different ways than I've seen really in any other church. There's a larger percentage of our people that are involved in something, the volunteers as we call them, people that volunteer for something here or there or wherever it might be, inside the building or outside the building, that are doing something. And I think that is a tremendous heritage that we have. And that makes an impact not only upon the people that actually might come through the doors, but on the people outside the community, the people around us. I think that's vital to see who we are and to recognize that, yes, there is something there that people would miss if we weren't here. There is something vital that we do for the people around us. Well, the prayer goes on to actually start saying, what is God's wish for us? What is it that God would say, I really want from you? And in this prayer, maybe it's, it's simple. Maybe it's something that is not so profound or um, unknown. It's not like it's something new, but it's something that is very vital. It is the first priority that we have of everything. The priority of our lives in this prayer is that we will know Jesus, that we will come to know him. And he uses these flowery words, a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him. You will come to know him more and more. And that's simple. Nothing outstanding, nothing that we don't know already, and yet it is the, the most vital thing, is that we recognize who Jesus is and that we follow him. Now, in our society, you could probably talk to just about anybody, and they would know the name Jesus Christ. Uh, hopefully not hearing it in the bad way that sometimes people do. But they would know that this is a person that is, has done something for our world, that there is something vital here, that there is something real in this person that will change our lives and change our world. Now, we ask, do you know him? And I could say the same thing maybe about Donald Trump. How many of you here know Donald Trump? <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> okay. We know the name, don't we? And in fact, I bet if we would talk about some things for a while, we could go on a long time about things Donald Trump has done, whether or not we like the things that he's done or said. Uh, we could just talk and talk and talk about who Donald Trump is. But I don't think there's anybody in this room who actually knows him. Do you? You don't have a personal relationship with him. We might see things, we might have heard things, but we don't know him. And that's what Paul is really emphasizing here, that we come to know Jesus. Oh, there are things about Jesus that we do need to know as well. We need to know about his life, we need to know about his teachings. 
But more than all of that, we need to know Him personally. And I've picked out three categories here that talk about this. The first one I've just kind of made up. There is this philosophical background of knowing Jesus. But it's really something that everybody already has. The Apostle Paul went to the city of Athens, and in that time, Athens was the center of philosophical thought. That's basically what all of the leaders of the city would gather together and debate philosophical issues. And Paul came in and spoke to them, and he talked about God, not just all of their gods, but the one true God. And his point to them was, you already know this God, even though you might not recognize him, even though you don't even know him by name, you know who this is. Because, and this is what he said, in him we live and move and have our being. And we need to recognize that, that there is this basic level, this undergirding that is inborn into all of us of an instinct that there is a higher power, that there is something out there, that God exists and is at work in our world. Some people try to deny that. I really don't think it can be denied. We hide from it. We might change the subject around to something else, if it's the Big Bang Theory or whatever, anything else. But we have to have some kind of an idea of design and order and power at work in this world. So, philosophical understanding of who Jesus is. But beyond that, there needs to be a personal understanding of who he is. That we ourselves come to know Jesus in a personal way. Paul and his companion Silas have been preaching in, in Philippi, the city of Philippi. And they got in trouble because people didn't want to hear them preach. They got thrown into jail. And then all of a sudden, things happened. And the jailer came to them and fell on his knees and said, what must I do to be saved? And they said simply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the first thing, that you come to Christ, that you have this idea of who he is, and that you start trusting him day by day, that there is a daily walk. And we talk about Bible study and prayer. And the real thing is, is that we live out in our lives every day of what we know about Jesus. But there is another part to that as well. It's not just our personal relationship, but it is a communal relationship. Because we can only really know who Jesus is by being part of his church. And that's really the idea here in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is the book about the body, the body of Jesus. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and we are the body. We are joined together. And the idea then is that we are drawing our orders from the head and we are obeying those orders. We are following what Christ has said. We are interconnected with one another and we are obeying, taking our direct orders from our master. In every way, the church is the community in which we live out these ideas. The church is, is Christ's body now living on earth. Yes, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. 
And we are his presence here on earth, continuing the ministry that he started. That's what God has done through Jesus Christ, making him the one that completes everything in our world, that sums up everything. I want to read a passage from Colossians chapter 1, just two books further on. Ephesians and Colossians are really, you would call them sister letters. They were probably written exactly the same time, maybe the same week, uh, and sent to churches that are very close together, and they were instructed that you share letters from one another. You share letters in this church. You could say, as I just said, Ephesians is talking about the body, and emphasizing the relationships, the interconnectedness that we have. So we have the body of Christ with Christ as head. Colossians is the opposite. Colossians is talking about Jesus as the head of the body. And so we listen to the head, and it helps then to see these two books interconnected and to see how they fit together. Uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, talking about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. That's who Jesus is. And so today I want to ask, do you know him? Do you know who he is? Not just things about him, not just things that we might talk about week after week in church, but that you come to know him personally, and that you come to know him in the church, that you know what he wants from us as people and as Journey Church. Do you know him? And more than that, do you get to know him more and more every day? Because it's not just a, a one-day thing. It's not just a one-time decision. It's a decision that we have to really make every day. A little bit later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul is going to talk about the church and Christ as a metaphor for husband and wife. So husband and wife, you make a decision to get married, to live together. It's not just a one-time decision, is it? You might stand up one time in front of people and you make that commitment, but it's a decision that you have to live out every day. And sometimes it's hard work, isn't it? Sometimes you might not want to do it, <laughs> but it's something that you've decided to do and that you work for and that you continue to do every day, day after day, and it's the same with knowing Jesus. That we get up in the morning, we make that decision. Today I will live for Jesus. Today I will do what God wants me to do. Today I will follow him. That's the point of knowing who he is and knowing him more and more every day. That is the center of this prayer. That is the heartbeat of what God wants from us. That we will be able to know Jesus more and more because in knowing him, 
Our lives will be totally transformed. Our lives will be different. But the prayer goes on to talk about three outcomes, three changes that will take place, three results of knowing him. And in uh, simple terms, it is talking about hope, riches, and power. Those are the three things that will change in our life when we come to know Jesus. Those are the outcomes. Those are the results of when we are really connected to God, of when we are growing in him, when we are knowing him more and more every day, that we will find new hope, that we will understand riches. And I put those in quotes for obvious reasons probably. And also the power that God has worked out in our life. Those are the things that God wishes for us today. That's what God really wants for us. First of all, that we will have a hope. And he says it in a longer phrase, the hope to which you were called. Actually starts out with an interesting little phrase. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. That's a strange way to put it. Probably something that we're not used to. When we talk about heart, we're talking about our emotions, how we might feel towards something. But in that day, when they used the word heart, they were really talking about when you made decisions. When you actually said, I want this as a goal in my life. You do that with your heart. Maybe you can, under, you can sense that at least. We would call that will. That I have a will, and this is what I have willed to do. I have set these goals. I have determined this path, and now I will walk that path. That's what he's talking about by the eyes of our heart, that they will be enlightened or that we will open our eyes to see the goal that is set out before us, that we will understand what is out there, and we will hope for it. Now, typically, when you hear somebody using the word hope, it's going to be something like, well, I hope it doesn't rain today. (laughs) And we've already lost on that front, haven't we? (laughs) We use hope in a way of, well, I have no control over it. I have no way that I can make any difference in it. I just hope it comes out that way. That's not the way hope in the Bible works. Hope is something far deeper and far more active in our life. Uh, When I was in college, we had a a dean, and every year, students thought it was funny, but he didn't. He didn't understand why everybody would laugh at him, but he would stand up about a month before graduation and make the announcement, all students who are hoping to graduate, please come by my office and fill out the required forms. We'll make sure that you have completed all the requirements. But he would say it that way. All of you who are hoping to graduate, and all the crowd would, would laugh because we knew that there were some people that weren't going to make it to graduation. So that's not what he meant, though. By hoping, he meant all the people that had enrolled in classes, that were taking those classes, that were doing their homework and passing their tests, They were working at it step by step, and now they were coming to the final day when they would graduate. That's what hope really is. It's not something that we can't affect or just wish for. It is something that we set a goal and actually work day by day to get there. We are hoping for what God's going to do. And that's the thing. 
when we hope on something, when we set our hope, God's going to make it happen. What do you see in your life? What do you see for Journey Church? What is the hope that is there for you? And how can we work to, to, to live it out day by day? Because that's what God will make happen. It's what we truly hope for. The goal that we set and how we work for it day by day, that's what will happen for us. And that's what God wants for us. A hope. A hope for what he will do. Then he talks about riches. The riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints. And of course, when he says riches, he's not talking about having money or a nice house or cars. Not talking about winning the lottery. <laughs> Sometimes I think we get caught up in our, that worldly idea that uh, if I would just win the lottery, all my problems would go away. No, it would probably multiply your problems ten times at least. Here, God wants to give us riches that he has set for us from the beginning of time. Riches of his grace. To know his love. To understand his mercy and forgiveness at work in our life. Those are the riches of the inheritance among the saints. Those are the things that will make us truly understand the meaning of life and find a richness. Despite whether we are rich or poor, there are the riches that God wants to provide for us. It's the inheritance that he has for us. The Apostle Paul uh, wrote to the church in Philippi again, uh, Philippians. And uh, almost at the very end of the book, he talks to them and he says, I've had it all, people, in all ways. I know what it means to be rich, and I know what it means to be poor. I know what it means to be well-liked, and I know what it means to be hated. I've been in jail. I've been persecuted. I've been welcomed as friends by high officials. And he says, none of that's mattered. What I have learned through it all, whether it's been good times or bad times, is that God will supply all my needs. And that's what the promise is. Paul writes that as a promise. And my God shall fulfill all your needs. Not your wishes, but all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. God will do that. What do you need? What do we need as Journey Church? God's going to supply it. He will do that. That's what he wants for us is to give us his riches Riches of grace and mercy and love. Third, the power that is available to us. Power that God wants to give us. Power that we can live this life. Power is something that uh, maybe in, in many ways we seek in one way or another. Uh, and doesn't have to be ultimate power, doesn't have to be power over people, but at least we want the power to control our own destinies, don't we? We want the power to control our own life, to be able to choose the things and to go after the things that we see as best for us. 
And that's a little part of what, what the prayer is about here, that there is a power. The disciples, when they were with Jesus walking around, they, they understood that there was something major happening in Jesus' life. They thought Jesus was going to completely transform the world, that he would start an earthly kingdom, and that they would rise up and conquer all of their enemies, and that they would rule the world. They would have power. That's the way they saw it. And then when Jesus died, all of their hopes were gone. They lost any kind of an idea. Well, that can't be true anymore. And even when Jesus was raised from the dead, they misunderstood that. They didn't get it. Jesus walked with the disciples for 40 days after the resurrection, trying to teach them on the idea. And on the very day that he was to ascend to heaven, Acts chapter 1, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They still wanted to be rulers. They thought Jesus would be king, and each of them would be a governor or some kind of a ruler over all the other people around them. They thought this was a new world order. And Jesus said, no, I can't tell you the times. This is not the time or the place. But you shall receive power, is what Jesus told them. You shall receive power, because Jesus understood their question. He knew they were talking about some kind of a power. But the power that was going to come was a different kind of power, and it came 10 days later on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit brought them together. That was the power. That was the power of God. That was the hope that they really wanted. Even though they might not have recognized it, that is what they were hoping for. That was the riches that God was providing, even though they misunderstood it. That is what they really were going for. The power that was there. That's the power that we have as well. That's what God provides for us. Whatever it might be, sometimes when things are going well, uh, we might actually be in the worst situation of our lives because we get kind of careless then. But God can bring us through those good times. And then when times get bad, whatever it might be, if it's a, a sickness, if it is a problem that we're having at work or school or anywhere else in our life, financial issue or, you know, all the, the stuff we have to go through with businesses, whether it's for insurance or anything, all of those issues that come to us, there is something more that God wants to provide for, uh, for you. Whatever it is, whatever is in your life, God is able to bring you through that. And for us as Journey Church, God is able to bring us through whatever situation we might face, whatever it is, because that power from God that was active in Jesus' life is here among us as well. Now, last week I uh, mentioned a few things and didn't really explain them about Jesus. And I want to, uh, I mean, it's really, this is the part that actually describes that. I want to read first uh, verses 20 to 23 in chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 20 to 23, because here in this prayer, he has just named power, but now he goes on to talk about what that power really means. Verse 20, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. There again, Jesus is the center of that. And notice how it was putting it. God put the power in Jesus. In other words, Jesus didn't have that power on his own. When Jesus was a man on earth, he did not have any special power. Now, I need to really emphasize that. I hope you understand that. Because I think we come at Jesus in a completely wrong way. Jesus was human. Completely human. 100% human. He had nothing special. There was nothing about his life. Now also, you know, Jesus was also 100% divine. We talk about that as the Trinity. Yes, God is Jesus. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is Jesus. But the Bible talks about this when Jesus is on earth. It talks about Jesus in a different way. And it presents to us, it keeps reminding us, Jesus was totally human. I think we kind of forget that. We, we, we like to say he's divine. We like the divine part, and that's fine. But when Jesus became human, he emptied himself of those divine qualities. And I think we all recognize this. Maybe we just haven't put it directly. Uh, God is everywhere at all times. Well, Jesus wasn't when he was on earth. He couldn't have been. He was in one spot at one time. He was a man. Uh, God has all power. Well, Jesus didn't have all power. In fact, we find some really Strange verses that say Jesus went into a certain town and he was unable to heal because of their lack of faith. And all that I'm trying to say here is that Jesus was human, but God put the power in him and he did it because Jesus was obedient. That was the key. And Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He was the one that was able to be perfectly obedient. I don't know if we can ever reach that height. I'm not sure that we can um, be quite as complete as what Jesus was. But that shouldn't stop us from trying to achieve that goal. Because you see, in exactly the same way that God put the power in Jesus, He puts the power in us. That's what this verse is telling us. The power that God put in Jesus, power to heal, power to do miracles, that's the same power that he will put into our lives. Now we talk about spiritual gifts in the church, that God has enabled us in certain ways, and we like to 
pick certain gifts. These are my gifts. This is what God has called me to do. This is the way that I will work. And it's as if that we are saying, I possess this gift. It is mine. And I can choose to use it any way I want to. That's false. That's not it. Now, I don't have the gift of healing. But there have been times I have prayed for somebody and they've been healed. That's exactly what I'm trying to say here. There's nothing in me that would make it happen. And despite what you might see on TV when somebody comes out and hits somebody on the head and says, be healed, the power is not in the person. It's in the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit might decide to work through me or through you or through anybody else is up to Him. It's not up to me. That power, though, is there. It comes when we are obedient to what God has called us to do and to be. Paul writes this promise out a little bit more straightforward in 1 Corinthians 6.14. God raised the Lord and will also raise us by His power. God raised Jesus. Sometimes, even on Easter Sunday, we get up and say, Jesus Christ rose. And that's not wrong, but it actually kind of might give the wrong impression. Jesus didn't have the power to stand up on his own. There was no special power in Jesus. The power was God's power. And I know (laughs) we're really pulling out this idea of Trinity and what it means. But while he was on earth, there is something going on there that's different. Jesus himself did not have that power, but God put the power in him. And God raised Jesus from the dead. And God will raise us up also. That's our hope. That's what we put our trust in. When we come to know Jesus, when we are obedient to what he has, we will be raised up to new life that God wants to give to us. We find that when we are obedient to give ourselves to his service. God will do what he wants done when we are obedient to him. We come to know Him. We walk with Him day by day. We serve Him. And that's what brings God's will to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That happens when we are obedient to follow what Christ is telling us to do. That happens when we set our hopes on what God wants to do in our world. That happens when we receive the riches that He has in in, that he has for us, that he has given for us, that he has set aside for us. That happens when we realize the power that God has available for us. Now, as Daniel and Jim come to lead us in our last song, I want to invite you to to take one of the cards that's in the pew back in front of you. And maybe you have a prayer request today for one thing. You can write that on those cards or anything else that you might want to communicate with us. But also today, particularly, I want to ask you a question. Same question I've been asking this whole sermon, actually. 
What is your prayer for Journey? If you could say, this is what I would really want for Journey Church, this is what it would be. Write that on those cards, and you can uh, put them in the, in, either in the offering bags or in the, one of the boxes in the back. But what is your prayer for Journey today? What do you want to see God do in our midst? That's probably the most important thing right now, is that we set our hopes on what God will do in our community, in this church, as we join together as the Christ, as bodies, as Christ's body, the body of Christ, that God will work through us. Stand with me and let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your love for us that enables us in so many ways to receive what you have intended to fulfill what you started when you created the whole world. And so, Father, help us as we give ourselves to you that we will follow you day by day, that we will love you more, that we will serve you more, that we will find all of our hopes and joys in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.